There we go. Shoftim. Shoftim, the book of Judges. We're going to be in chapter 6. I'm hoping to get into chapter 7. We'll see. We'll, we'll probably just call it at chapter 6. Got a lot to go over. Uh, first thing we want to do, though, is we want to start off with a recap of where we're at right now. Uh, usually we're in the book of, or excuse me, we're in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Uh, but now since we're in the book of Shoftim, a little bit of recap of what's going on historically here. So just to know where we're at here, uh, there's the exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then we come across Yehoshua, who brings the people into the land. And now we come into the book at the time of the judges. This is going to be a time where Israel has no king, but it will lead up to where Israel will want a king and will actually need to have a king before them. The book of Judges, we're going to see a continual theme take place. Adonai wants peace for his people, so he brings them in. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you to the land I swore to your fathers, and said, I will never break my covenant with you. He fulfills his promise. He brings them out of Egypt, brings them to the land of promise. But then we start to see the cycle begin in the book of Judges. The people have peace. They become apathetic towards the word of God and his commands, which leads to them sinning, which then leads to them being oppressed by by the people who are around them, their neighbors. They're then judged, which just so we're clear on this, the idea of being judged means, hey, you're spiritually in the wrong place. You need to get to the spiritual right place. And then comes the deliverance, the physical deliverance that we see, which then leads to peace, which then leads to apathy, which then leads to sin, so on and so forth. Um... The thing that we really have to remember as we keep going through this and we see this cycle happen over and over again is that God has a plan and a purpose for Israel. Are they perfect? No, but neither are we. So we can't say those Israelites and wag the finger at them because we need to wag the finger at ourselves because God also has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. And we too fall into that same cycle of sin and rebellion and judgment and deliverance and then peace and then sin and rebellion. The important thing that we went over last time we were together is to remember that God will meet us where we are as we take steps towards him. But we have to take that step. He won't just come and say, I want to deliver you. But he'll sit there and he'll say, hey, Chris, I want to deliver you. But just take, just take, please, just take one step toward me. You take one step, I'll, meet, I'll take 49, and, and I'll meet you right where you're at. But you got to make that commitment. And we're going to see that happen. We, see that, we saw that happen with the conquests as they came in. Joshua begins his conquest. And then uh, last week, we uh, learned about the judges we've learned about so far. We had Othniel, Ehud. Shamgar, and then last week, uh, last time we were together, we learned about Deborah. Deborah was interesting because we have a female judge that is paired together with a man named Barak who actually goes out and does the physical war. Now, when Barak is called to go, he chooses not to go by himself. He He says, hey, Deborah, I will go and defeat the Canaanite king, but if only if you come with me. And she says, hey, if I go with you, the deliverance is going to be taken away from you and the credit is going to go to a woman. And she wasn't even referring to herself. She's referring to Jael. Remember, we got to the end of the teaching, and it was a little PG-13, because we find that Sisera's asleep, the general of the army, in her tent because she gives him some milk, puts him to sleep, and then she takes a big old spike and just drives it through his head. 
the deliverance of Israel was credited to a woman. And that's all. We went over that. How awesome that is. That it doesn't matter. Adonai will use who is available and who is willing to be used by him. So that brings us to, to chapter 6. So go ahead, turn with me in the blue Bibles in front of you. It's going to be found on page 277. That's Shof team, the book of Judges, 277. Verse 1, but the people of Israel did what was evil from Adonai's perspective. So Adonai handed them over to Midian for seven years. Midian exercised its power harshly against Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel hid themselves in mountains, in caves, and in other safe places. The overarching theme in the biblical scriptures as a whole, and especially in the book of Judges, is that we have choices to make in our life. We can follow God's way, which we find laid out for us in the Torah, or we can follow our own way and our own will. We often see and we ask, why do good things happen to the bad people? Well, Adonai promises that he will always honor those who follow his word. So even in the times when we have someone who may seem like an evil, hypocritical person, in the times of their life where they follow God's word, he honors that. But then there's the times when they don't follow, and he has to judge it as well. Choices are the main thing that we find in our life that get us in trouble. It's a slow, slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. So we can sit and we can try to follow God the best of our ability. And we have a heart and a want and a desire to do so. But we also have a heart and a want and a desire to do our own will as well. The more often we do our own will, the more often we separate ourselves away from God. And it's a slow, slippery slope, isn't it? You don't wake up one day and say, you know what, today I'm going to be a drunkard. No, you're like, hey, today I'd like to try this, tomorrow I'd like to try that, and then I need one when I get home from work to just kind of wind down. You know what, I should probably have two because today was a really bad day. And then, well, the weekend's coming, now I get to have four because I don't have to go anywhere tomorrow. It's a slow, slippery slope. Slow, slippery slope, yeah. It's a lot of S's. And we have to be careful. And it's not just with alcohol. It's with anything. Anything done in excess becomes out of control. And it's, it's funny, too, because it goes the opposite way. If you wake up today and you say, you know what? I'm going to read one verse in the Bible. And then you wake up tomorrow and you're like, you know what? I, one verse was pretty good. What about two verses? And then you wake up the next you're like, hey, let's try a whole chapter. And you get to the point where you end up saying, you know what? Three chapters a day is pretty good. I'm feeling really good now. And then you're like, you know what? Today's the Shabbat. It's a special day. Let's go for a whole 10 chapters. And it's got the opposite effect. It uplifts and it brings you closer to Adonai. Verse 3, one time after Israel's sowing season, Midian with Amalek and the others from the east attacked them. They set up camp by them and destroyed the produce of the country all the way to Azah. They left nothing for the people to live on, no sheep, no oxen, no donkeys, for they came up with their cattle in tents, and they came in as thick as locusts. Both they and their camels were beyond numbering, and they came into the land to destroy it. Israel became very discouraged because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out to Adonai. So they've gone against Adonai, they've sinned in their lives, and they've continued in their sins. The judgment has come in the form of Midian. And what's interesting, so Sisera was the, the tool that was used for judgment before, and he had, what, 900 iron chariots, the tanks of the day. And all of a sudden now, 
the things have gotten worse. And this time there are Midianites as far as the eye can see. They're like locusts. You know, and so we see that their judgment is increased by the amount of sin that they have. And isn't that true in our own lives? The more sin we have, the harsher it feels like Adonai is kind of allowing us to be tempted, to, to be tempered down. You know, so that all these Midians arrive, and they don't have iron chariots. We're going to find out in a minute what they have. They have camels. They have camels. They have camels as far as the eye can see. And the Midianites, through this, they were able to conquer all this territory. I mean, I, I know we've all seen a horse. How many of us have seen camels? They're huge. You know those big old gumpy animals? They've got that big old head and the, the one or two humps on the back. And they are they're a sight to behold. And they're mounted up. And they're riding on these with their swords and their spears. And it is an intimidating thing to see. One thing we see with this impression from the Midianites is that not only are they coming in and they're taxing the people and they're taking the, the fruit of their land, but they're also using scorched earth tactics. They're not only coming in to raid and to pillage, they're coming in to utterly humiliate and destroy. You know, it's one of those things that the Bible talks about to the Israelites. They say, when you go in and you conquer, don't cut down the trees. What are you doing? You don't cut off the fruit. You don't cut off the fields. You don't burn things down. Just go in and conquer. Scorched earth tactics, tactics are dirty. Scorched earth tactics say, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to take over. And when I leave, I want you to suffer. I don't want you to recover and have more so that I can come and take more from you. I want you to just die. No way to eat. That, that's not the way Adonai wants it. That's not the way it should be at all. So when the people of Israel cried out to Adonai, that's super important. They cried out to Adonai. No matter how bad things are in life, what does Adonai want you to do? He wants you to cry out. That's the step. He says, I want you to take one step. Cry out. I was wrong. I need help. And he'll meet you right where you're at. So they cried out, and Adonai to Adonai because of Midian, and Adonai sent a prophet to the people of Israel who said to them, Adonai, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. I delivered you from the power of the Egyptians and from the power of all your oppressors. I drove them out ahead of you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am Adonai, your God. You are not to be afraid of the gods of the Emory in whose land you are living. But you paid no attention to what I said. So the first thing that Adonai sends when they call out for help is he sends a prophet who says, you know what? You messed up. You, you had a good thing going and you messed up. But all you got to do is turn back to me. And then I will send a deliverer. And he's going to do that as well. So he sends a prophet first. To, to prepare the people, the nation spiritually to return to him, and then he's going to send the deliverer too. It's the same is true in our lives as well. We need to acknowledge, we need to realize our choice to choose to remain in sin, and then we have to acknowledge that and say, okay, I don't know, I need your help now to be delivered from this sin. I love this quote I found from Helen Keller. For those of you who don't know, Helen Keller is a blind woman who is an, author, an American author and activist, and she says, we may have found a cure for most evils, 
but we have found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy or the not caring of human beings. Doesn't that just hit home? And it is. It's true, isn't it? So many times bad things happen and we're like, well, what do we do? Well, I don't care. Someone else will take care of that. This is part of the reason why when we come to, especially to Yom Kippur, and we start praying and we start pounding our chest and we repent for the sins of our nation, did I commit those sins? No, but I can't be apathetic about those sins. We've all done this together. We're all lumped together. And so another way to word it, I found another person who said, we need to be careful that we don't become so dependent upon God to do everything that we find ourselves doing nothing. Wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks when I first read that, and I was like, yeah. It's so easy to say that's not my problem. What that person's going through, that's their fault. It's not my problem. What that country's struggling with, that they kind of made their own bed, now they gotta line it. That's not my problem. That's apathy. You know, even if we can't do anything physically, there's a difference between being unwilling to do something and being unable to do something. So if I hear about conflicts around the world, I am physically unable to intervene and help in a specific conflict. But that doesn't mean I can't pray. Talk about the most powerful tool right there. Going before the throne of God and saying, God, please, let your will be done. Let those who are innocent be spared. Let those who need to be judged, let them be judged. We can't be apathetic, as, as believers especially. This week in our parashahs, Pekudai, excuse me. And I love this parashah. It's so simple because it's just talking about, as Mike had read, that all the implements of the tabernacle coming together to be put together so that Adonai's presence can then fall upon it. And I think it's so beautiful that he would say that, that he includes the tent pegs. You need the tent pegs. Don't forget the little hooks that put all the things together. Don't forget the little strings that are all woven in there. Don't forget the, the Ark of the Covenant. Don't forget the ten, the ten coverings that go over. You need all these things to work together for God's plan to fall in line. And it's so true with the body of Messiah as well. You know, we like to uplift those who are on TV and those who have the podcast and all that. They're just like the outside skin. Like we, if we look at a person, the outside skin, that's what you see. You know what happens? The interesting thing about the outside skin of a human being is it's dead cells. It's what we see, but it's all dead cells. The real stuff is on the inside. It's the stuff that's inside the body that's supporting that outside worth. We're all in this together. We are the body Messiah, regardless of what color or or what nationality we are, or what body we might be going to at the, at the current moment in time. We're all in this together. We need each other to work together. And that is what Adonai is showing the people through this whole story of Gideon. Gideon's heart is for his people. We're going to find out in a minute that he's threshing wheat, but he's protecting the wheat. He's not protecting himself in what he's doing. We need to be careful that we're not so heavenly-minded that we become no earthly good. To think about heaven, to think about the world to come. Oh, that's awesome. That raises my heart. It's such a beautiful thing. But what about the person who needs help? 
if I say that's not my calling, that's not, that's not what I'm called to do, and I become apathetic, what does it matter? Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1,511. So James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, he picks up on this idea. And he says, what good is it, brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? Is such faith... I love how the complete Jewish Bible puts it in quotes, too. Maybe I should say... I, I, I get the feeling that the author is being a little sarcastic, so maybe I should read it that way. So what good is it, brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? Is this faith able to save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, Shalom, keep warm and eat healthy. But without giving him what he needs, what good does that do? Thus, faith, trusting by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. Dead. But someone will say, you might have faith, but I, I have actions. Show me this faith of yours without the actions. And I will show you by my faith, I will show you my faith by my actions. You know, we see this with Yeshua too when he goes to heal the man with the crippled hand. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And the people stand back and they're like, whoa, how do you have the right to forgive sins? No one does. And he goes, I'll show you how I have the right to forgive sins. As anyone can say your sins are forgiven. But hey, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched out his hand, it became whole. He, Yeshua proved his faith, his trusting by the actions. And so did that crippled man. He believed that his sins were forgiven. And his faith was that he stretched out that crippled hand until it became whole. Could you even imagine you have a crippled hand. It's never been able to move. And then in faith, you begin to move that thing. Man, those muscles have been tight and atrophied for so long, but then they start snapping back in place. Oh, what an awesome thing that must have been to see. Our faith without actions is empty and useless. We're going to see this with Gideon. So chapter, or verse 11 in chapter 6 of Shoftim. Then the angel of Adonai came and sat under a pistachio tree in Ophrah that belonged to Yoash the Aviezer. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from Midian. So remember the Midianites were coming in. They were burning down everything, and now he's going to thrash wheat. Quite often when we think about threshing wheat, you know, you have a couple ox, they pull a board, they kind of crush everything, and then you go to a top of a mountain and you kind of get it all in there, you just throw it up in the air, and you watch the wind carry away all the chaff, and all the seeds fall down. So, but Gideon, he's doing the opposite. He's inside a, web, a wine press, so it's down low, and so now he's having to take these bundles of wheat and just beat them relentlessly so that they release the wheat berries so that he can then use them. And the reason he's doing this is he's doing it to protect the wheat. I thought that was so cool. It was mind-blowing. Gideon's not doing it to protect himself and to hide himself. He's protecting the wheat berries. We're starting to see into Gideon's character here. Because how, how many of us can agree with the fact that just because a nation might be doing evil doesn't mean everyone in the nation is doing evil, right? 
Yeah. So Gideon knows. And the thing is, is as we re- continue reading along, we're going to find out what he's thinking about in his head as he's threshing this wheat. So then the angel of Adonai appeared to him and said to him, You valiant hero, Adonai is with you. He, he's hiding in a wine press, but he's a valiant hero. Excuse me, sir, answered Gideon, but if Adonai is with us, why is all this happening to us? And where are all his miracles our ancestors told us about when they said, didn't Adonai bring us up out of Egypt? For now Adonai has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. So we get an understanding of so where Gideon's mentality is. The children of Israel are commanded every year at the time of Pesach, you are to remember recount and retell your children the deliverance. Gideon is thinking about this, this time of harvesting the wheat. The the Passover has happened. He's getting ready. He's getting ready for Shavuot. He's harvesting that wheat and he's pounding it out and he's getting ready. And then he's sitting inside this wine press and he's thinking about these things. And he's just mulling it over and he's like, God, why are you allowing this to happen to our people? What? You delivered us from, from Egypt. Why aren't you doing that now? And Adonai appears to him and says, hey, you mighty man, I like your thinking. That's right, I did deliver you. And guess what? I'm going to use you. Adonai turned to him, verse 14, and said, go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Haven't I sent you? There's two Two main thoughts on this strength that Gideon is using is the possibility that Adonai has given him some special strength right now to keep going. But then there's also this idea here that this strength that that Gideon has is God's done it before, he can do it again. He just doesn't realize that he can use him. And that's where we all stand today. God's done things before, he can do it again, and he can use us. But Gideon answered him, forgive me, my Lord, but with with what am I to save Israel? Why, my family is the poorest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest person in my father's house. And Adonai said to him, because I will be with you. You will strike down Midian as easily as if they were just one man. Gideon replied, if indeed you favor me, Would you mind giving me a sign that is really you talking with me? Please don't leave here until I return with a gift and present it to you. And he replied, I will wait till you come back. So even in this whole thing, he's got the the idea of Moshe and the deliverance of the children of Israel. And he totally pulls a Moshe. Because Moshe says, hey, who am I, Adonai, that you would use me? And Adonai says, I am going to use you. And the proof is that you will come and you will worship me on this mountain after everything's said and done. This word gift here is really neat in the scripture. It's minhati. And it actually is where we get the the idea of the mincha, the midday prayers. So when Gideon says, I want to bring something to you, he says, I want to bring you a minhati. I want to bring you a donation or tribute or sacrificial offering. He's like, I want to bring you something, Adonai. Let me bring you something. So Gideon went in, cooked a young goat, and made matzot from a bushel of flour. He put the meat in the basket and the broth in the pot, brought them out to him under the pistachio tree, and presented them. 
the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the matzah, lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth. Gideon did so, and the angel of Adonai reached out with the stick he was holding. Oh, where did he get this stick from? That's probably another thing we can draw about later, but I think it's very interesting. He's got a stick. Moshe had a stick. You know, there's kind of these things taking place here. But he touched the meat in the matzo, and fire shot out, shot out, up, out of the rock and burned up the meat in matzo. Then the angel of Adonai disappeared before his eyes. Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Adonai and said, Oh no, my Lord, Adonai, because I've seen the angel of Adonai face to face. Who also saw Adonai face to face? Moshe. They're so, they're, the, Gideon's just thinking about Moshe at this time. But Adonai reassured him, Shalom to you. Don't be afraid. You won't die. Then Gideon built an altar there to Adonai and called it Adonai Shalom. To this day, it remains an Ophrah of the Azariah. That very night, Adonai said to him, take your father's bull and the other bull, the seven-year-old, destroy the altar to Baal that belongs to your father, cut down the sacred pole next to it, and build a proper altar to Adonai your God on top of this strong point. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering, using the wood of the sacred pole you cut down. Gideon took ten of his servants and did what Adonai had told him to do. He didn't do it by day because he was afraid of the men of his father's household and those from the city, so he did it at night. Gideon was afraid of his past. What will people say if I start doing this? My family's always done this to, to hang out and to cut loose. Uh, what will they say if I do something different? We got to be careful that we don't allow our family upbringing, or society's norms to excuse the sins in our lives. Just because others do it doesn't make it right. We're called to do something else. We're called to make a choice for Adonai. Ezekiel chapter 18, if you have time, read the, the entire chapter. is amazing. I love it. But for time's sake, I'll just go over a couple of verses here. In chapter 18 of Ezekiel, verse 1, the word of Adonai came to me. What does it mean that you keep quoting this proverb in the land of Israel? When parents eat sour grapes, their children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says Adonai Elohim, I swear that you will never again quote this proverb in Israel. Look, all lives belong to me. Both the parent's life and the child's life are equally mine. So it is the person who sins himself who also must die. Verse 19, you ask, why doesn't the son bear the father's guilt? When the son has done what is lawful and right, he has kept all my laws and obeyed them. He will certainly live. The person who sins is the one that will die. A son is not to bear his father's guilt with him, nor the father to bear the son's guilt with him. But the righteousness of the righteous will be his own, and the wickedness of the wicked will be his own. The sins of my children are not mine. They are their own little sinful little beings. I have enough sin to worry about in my own life. But that doesn't mean we don't strive to lead and guide our children to do what is right. Verse 28 in chapter 6 of Judges. When the men of the city got up the next morning, there was the altar of Baal destroyed, the sacred pole cut down, and the second bull, a burnt offering on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who would have done this? 
But after investigating, they concluded that Gideon, the son of Yoash, had done it. Bring out your son, the men of the city demanded of Yoash, so that he may die. Because he destroyed the altar of Baal and cut down the sacred pole next to it. It can be scary to cut down sacred poles. You know, my family struggled with alcoholism for years. My struggles but have been greatly and deeply seeded into my life because of my parents and my parents' parents and the parents' parents before them. We just hate people. We just have an anger or a bitterness or we have an addiction to pornography or to drugs or whatever it might be. Excuses? I mean, it's really what they are. It's not my fault that I'm the way that I am. Now, can the, the situations in our life shape the way we are? Yes, absolutely. But we have a choice that we have to make. We can either get bitter or we can get better. We can either follow the word of Hashem or we can follow our own word and do our own thing. But Yoash said to all those crowding around him, you're defending Baal, are you? It's your job to save him. Anyone who defends Baal will be put to death before morning. If he is a god, let him defend himself. After all, somebody destroyed his altar. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was given the name Jerubbaal. Let Baal defend himself. Because they said, let Baal defend himself against him, since he has destroyed his altar. Now, while Midian, Amalek, and the others from the east joined forces, crossed the Yarden, and set up camp in Yitzrael Valley, but the spirit of Adonai covered Gideon. He sounded the call on the shofar, and Aviezer rallied behind him. He sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too rallied behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zavulin, and Naphtali, and they all came to join him. So all of them are coming to defend the territory. And Gideon said to God, If you are going to save Israel through me, as you said you would, then here I will lay a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, while all the ground stays dry, I will be convinced that you will save Israel through me, as you said you would. And it happened, he got up early in the morning, pressed the fleece together, and wrung dew out of it, a bowl full of water. But Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, because I'm asking one more thing. Let me make one more test, please. This time let it be dry only on the fleece, with dew all over the ground, and that, it was what, and that is what God did that night. It was dry only on the fleece, even though there was dew all over the ground. So we see with Gideon, Gideon is not testing God. We see in Devarim chapter 6 that Adonai says, don't test the Lord your God. It's going to get you in trouble. But we see that Gideon in this circumstance isn't testing God. He doesn't say, God, I don't trust you. In fact, he started off, remember, saying, hey, didn't you do miracles for us in the past? Do them now. He says, hey, God, do miracles like you did in the past. Can you use me? Am I, Gideon, worthy to be used by you, the Almighty, creator of the universe? And he puts out the fleece. And Adonai shows him that, yes, Gideon, I know you're from the smallest tribe, and you're the youngest in your household, and you are hiding in a wine press to do your work. But yes, I'm choosing to use you. We'll close with this, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I think of you. Whenever I pray for all of you, I always pray with joy because you have shared in proclaiming the good news from the very first day until now. 
And I'm sure of this, that the one who began a good work with you, began a good work among you, will keep growing until this is completed on the day of Messiah. We are all called. It's not the person standing up front. It's not the person with the podcast. It's not the person with the megachurch. Every single one of us in the body of Messiah are called to do something. We need to find out what that is. We need to ask Adonai what it is. What does he have plans for me, for, me, for Chris? What does he have plans for Tree of Life as a whole? What does he have for the city of Grand Rapids? What does Adonai want us to do? Our backgrounds, the pre past sins, our upbringing do not disqualify us from being servants of Adonai. But we have to make that choice to follow him. Go before Abba. Adonai, we thank you for your word, your Torah, your truth that's in it. We ask that you would help us to be like Gideon, that we do not deny the power that you have to do what you need to do. But Father, unlike Gideon, that we might accept easily the call that you might have on our lives. We ask that you would equip us and encourage us and lead us into ways of understanding your the truth in your Torah and your Haftorah and your Brit Chadashah, that you would help us to be more like our Messiah, Yeshua. And it's in his name that we come before your throne of glory. Amen.